0: Welcome, everybody, to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by thehockeythinktank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today! We are not bringing on anybody. It is just Jeffrey Lavecchio and I, and we are doing a mailbag episode. And holy crap, the amount of questions that we got from the mailbag episode, both of us today. Uh, We love you guys as listeners so much, and uh, we appreciate so many people uh, that brought in questions to us. And so we're going to go through as many as we can. We're going to try to get to all of them. Uh, We're going to discuss a little bit how we're going to do that in just a second. But before we do, let's bring on the talent of the podcast. Jeffrey J. Levecchio Vex, shirtless today for the pod. What's going on, my man? How we doing?
1: Free Jehu Levecchio. I love every time you say that. It makes me laugh so hard. <laughs> unbelievable. For anybody who doesn't know, there's no uh, F letter in the Japanese language. So when I played in Japan, all the Japanese guys, uh, my name to them was Jehu. Uh, unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. So then Wacy, who's been on our podcast, uh, he's calling me Jehu forever. Now he calls me Jehu all the time. It's just hilarious. Anyways, I'm doing great, man. Having a really good week exciting things happening in the kid's life got an unreal setup i think i talked about it on the last podcast the Anchor thing dude i love this thing you got to get this for your house like yeah like literally it is unbelievable if anybody out there is building a home gym you got to get this thing called Ancor. but anyways having a really good week and uh Excited for this mailbag. I love when we do these. I love these questions, the real ones and the funny ones.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we're going to get right into it. We're going to thank our sponsors really quick here. We want to thank gelsticks.com. This is your premier uh, weighted training stick that can help you on the driveway, in the basement to make your shot stronger. They also have golf clubs and lacrosse sticks. So go to gelsticksglstx.com and use the coupon code Think Tank one word, to get a discount on your weighted training stick. Jeffrey.
1: Wanted to thank Train Heroic. That is the unbelievable team that created the app where I house all of my online training programs. And uh, my mom keeps telling me, I got to tell the parents out there, the coaches out there, I have a program where it's my own personal workouts. If you want to challenge yourself, you're a retired athlete, an ex athlete, or you just want to look and perform like an athlete, join my Training With Me team. It's barely a dollar a day. And as always, all of my online training for first responders, um, you know, cops, veterans, firefighters, teachers, doctors, and nurses, those types of people that help EMS, uh, you always get 50% off all of my online training for you and your families. All you got to do is DM me and I'll uh, hook you up. Um, also want to thank Cure Nutrition. That's a CBD company that uh, I am partnered with now and i've been taking their stuff for it's got to be six months and i take it twice a day literally helps my brain a lot if you've never looked into cbd you can dm me just to ask about it so i'm not talking about on here but my my discount code with them is gmbmcurenutrition.com thank you guys
0: There we go. Also, icehockeysystems.com, and this is the best site out there for all of your coaching education needs. Uh, They have thousands of drills, uh, drill drawing software. Where you can go in and draw up your drills and send them to your team before practice. Send them to all the other coaches in your organization. We have partnered with them to do an association platform where you can get this for all of the coaches within your organization. So go to icehockeysystems.com, look up the associations tab. You get everything uh, for everybody in your organization, including the hockey parent survival guide from the hockey think tank. And this goes to all of your parents as well. So obviously not just educating the coaches, but educating the parents to IceHockeySystems.com. Thank you to blue wire pods, our podcast parent family for supporting our podcast as well. And then yes, wanted to do another mailbag episode. It's been a little bit since we've done one to thank all of you guys. And thank you so much for um for doing this thank you so much for everybody that sent in questions and what we're going to do today we've given ourselves a time limit because we had so many questions we don't want to just get to like five or six of them and, and go on for 10 15 minutes on each question which is kind of what we've done in the past in these mailbags we're giving ourselves a 5 minute limit and so we can get to as many of these as we can just the the guts of the answers <laughs> not not any tangents not anything like that we're just going to try to answer these as best as we can in a short amount of time so we can get to everybody Be a little bit different, a little bit hippity hoppity. What do you think? Vax, you ready to go? Let's get after it. You want to go first? You want me to go first? Yeah, you go first. Let's hear it. Okay. Other thing is uh, Vex does not know the questions that I'm asking. I do not know the questions that Vex is asking. Always fun to get it a little bit, a uh, little bit right away. And so uh, I will ask the first question. So this one's a good one. This is from Clay Van Deese, and we want to actually congratulate Clay Van Dees. He was a assistant coach at Milwaukee school of engineering, which is a really good division three hockey school, Graham Johnson. Uh, the head coach is an awesome guy as well. They had me up to do team building with them last year. Uh, they they have it rock in there and Clay just uh, became the head coach at Mary's university. So, um, awesome stuff for him. And so his question is first time head coach just took over the team last week. Wondering if you have any advice as a coach coming into a locker room where he didn't recruit any of the players and how to get them to buy in from the start. Thanks. And I think for you would be cool to be like, so I can come at it from like a coaching perspective. I think for you, would be cool as a player. Like, what would you want from a coach that's new, that didn't recruit you coming in. You know, what would you want him to say? What would you wouldn't want him to do as the play? You go from the player side and then I'll go kind of from the coach's side.
1: All out honesty. Walk in the room, the first meeting, and be like, guys, I'm the new coach here. I didn't recruit any of you. I don't know anything about you. You know what that means? Everyone's starting off on a clean slate. Whether you played the entire season last year, you played half the games, you played one game, I, it doesn't matter to me. Everyone is new to me so we're gonna we're gonna work at this together i'm gonna get to know you guys i'm gonna lead this team as a new team so starting fresh today let's can go <laughs> that's awesome i love yeah. that you know like short sweet simple get the boys on your side right away and then like i don't know i don't know what the rules are in college but like if you could start doing like uh Every meal have three or four guys over your house or, you know, I don't don't know, you go over somewhere and kind of get to know the guys in smaller settings, Um, maybe go class by class and uh, just get the rundown of everybody, you know, and kind of go at it that way. That's what that. yeah. that. I would do personally.
0: love that. Yeah. Like- I think the message of clean slate for everybody is really important. I, I love that you said that because yeah, when you're a new coach coming in, you don't, you you have fresh eyes, you know, you haven't uh, been around to see everything that happened in the previous years and things like that. So yeah, I think that's a, a great one. And then I think just preparation is really important being prepared and being organized and and making sure the players see that um, is, is good, especially when it comes to the relationship side of things, you know, bringing in guys on a consistent basis to try to get to know them, to build the relationships and stuff. Um, having almost like a schedule of, of one-on-one meetings or, you know, meetings with three or four guys at a time, whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, preparation, new slate, clean slate. And then, yeah, I think just being yourself is really important too. Um, you know, don't go in there with any kind of angle, players see right through that so like you said just 100 honest be yourself be authentic and uh, i don't think you can go wrong when you do that they hired you for a reason they hired you to be you and so that's that's what i would do too so knock Love that it. one out let's do it. it we, we can then we could do a whole episode probably on this good. yeah but, we could that's a great um, question yeah clay um, congratulations buddy good stuff
1: all right this one's from on instagram to me gavruss08 what's the best things things, plural, to do during a tryout? Compete
0: really, really hard and be the best at your identity. Compete really, really hard and be the best at your identity. Like if you're not somebody who's particularly the most skilled player on the team, don't try to be the most skilled player on the team and try to toe drag everybody, like do what you do best, um, fight for pucks in the corners, uh, chip it around a D and go get it and then take it to the net. Um, or if you are a skilled player, like show your skill, <laughs> but compete. I think that's one of the easiest things to see as a coach for the good and for the bad on both sides is a competitive nature and a competitive spirit. And so be yourself, compete really, really hard.
1: I think Tove absolutely nailed it. If I was going to add anything to that, uh, go a little more micro, my man. I would say like little things you can do like with competing is like never don't lose any battles like no matter what like die before you lose a battle and then like guys want like tangible things I've learned over the years when they say what can I do to get noticed things that stand out to me as an evaluator at a tryout are the little tiny details like, are you back checking hard? And are you like communicating on the back check? Like, are you doing the little things that, you know, you need to do at the higher levels? Um, is your head on a swivel on the ice? Are you changing hard? Like that's such a little detail, but so many guys don't change hard. That just comes off as lazy, um, and communicating, talking at tryouts. It's usually pretty quiet in the rink. Um, so if you're talking, you stand out at the younger ages too. So like, those are just some like little things. If you do them, you know, I think you'll stand out. Next one from our boy Kevin Porter, who's been on the podcast, is Nickelback good music for training? I mean, it
0: depends (laughs) if you like Nickelback or not. I don't. I don't mind Nickelback. Like to be honest with you, like they got a couple that get you kind of going or whatever. Don't Um, lie,
1: you love Nickelback?
0: No, I don't love Nickelback. I I, like they have a couple good songs. That I'll tell you
1: what. I'm a big Nickelback fan. Oh, I said it. I know that's not a popular opinion. (laughs) Dude, they've got some bangers. And one of their first bangers reminds me of when I lived at your house. Which one was that? ah like, uh, it was their first like their first like this one, is how you remind me yeah i think na, that na, was na. it yeah yeah, yeah okay it, it was either that one or the next one but it, that was I like remember, the biggest
0: one i feel like
1: i remember sitting in your kitchen in chicago when i played for the chill and you were the youngest human to ever play in the ushl at the time and eh, nasty not a big deal what's up tof and eh, check elite prospects and uh and, and like listening to that song so it always reminds me of like a good time and living with you so like i like nickelback i don't care what anybody thinks there you go. Okay,
0: Nickelback. Jeff, yeah. <laughs> a big fan. Might get some. Might get some people who don't listen to the podcast, and they're they're going to quit the podcast now. But that's this okay.
1: guy likes Nickelback. <laughs> no. <know. laughs>
0: Uh, Okay. Next one. This is from Oliver. Oliver says, I'm stepping into a new role with my program this year. I've been a head coach of a few AA teams the past few years, but now I'll be working as an assistant with our midget AAA program with a lot of duties, similar to that of a hockey ops director for a college program, scheduling, video stats, et cetera. Any tips on going from being a head coach to an assistant, both from a hockey perspective and a leadership perspective? I think that's a great question because most people go from assistant to head, but there are definitely people that go from head to assistant at a higher level. And so I think it's a great question. Go ahead. Vex, what do you got?
1: I would say like, you got to put your ego aside and know your role. And now you're not the big cheese. You're not the big tuna, right? Like you, you've got to do what the head coach lays out, his game plan, stuff like that. And obviously there's give and take and you talk and you're trying to perfect it. But at the end of the day, it's a head coach's decisions. Um, that will be the final decision. So I think that, you know, know your role and then ask him like, what are you looking for out of me as an assistant coach? And then you could also be like, well, I'm good at this. I'm good at this. I'm good at relationships with the guys or, you know, whatever it is that that you're bringing to the table and then kind of define your role. I think that the more in society we actually like get clear cut definitions, the easier it is to be successful. Like, like, like in relationships, like, I, you know, I think about this, like in my house with my girlfriend, like us just talking, like, you know, Jeff, you do the dishes. All right. Now the dishes aren't done. Like I know it's on me. Right. I think it's the same as a coaching staff or a player on a team, the more clear cut, you can be like, I want, I need this from you for this relationship to work. I think it's going to be great. So once he tells you that now, you know, your role and now you can go and excel at it. And like I said, with the give and take asking him, telling him, Hey, I'm really good at this. What do you think about me doing this type of role? And then go from there.
0: I love that. I love that. Uh, I'm going to say that earn the head coach's trust with your work ethic. I think that's one of the best things that you can do as an assistant coach. And I think the best assistant coaches are ones that like, don't come to the head coach with problems. They come with solutions, you know what I mean? And they go out of their way to like really put a lot of effort in to make the head coach's job easier. And a lot of times it is the assistant coaches that are doing a lot of the grunt work, the head coaches, a lot of the times, especially at the higher levels are more like CEOs and can delegate things. And the more you have trust in your assistants, the more they will delegate work to you, which as an assistant means that you're going to get better at what you do because you have a lot more on your plate to do. (laughs) And so earn the head coach's trust with your work ethic And, you know, just be proactive, be a go-getter, be a self-starter and ask for things to do, ask questions. The other thing too is like, I think the best assistant coaches are really good at, at the balance of like challenging the head coach, but also supporting them. Like when they think something is wrong or they think that something could or should be changed, um, they, they voice their opinion. They're not afraid to voice their opinion. Um, the head coach obviously has to create an environment where that's conducive and and people want to do that. Um, but I always think that the best coaches rooms are the ones that are almost divided in the coaches room and then united outside the coaches room. And they go into uh, the locker room to talk to the players, if that makes any sense. And I don't mean yeah. divided in, in right. a sense of like, you know, they don't like each other. each other, but like they challenge each other and they, push each other outside their comfort zones and they try to ask questions to make each other better in, in, you know, maybe it's explaining a a different tactic better or the way to deal with a player, whatever. Like I I feel like a, an assistant coach also needs to stand up for themselves and, and know when to push and, and, you know, not just be a yes, man.
1: I love that. Absolutely. Love that. Okay. Uh, Next question. Yes, sir. Uh, What, Are some strategies to earn the coach's trust, to earn more opportunities, ice time, etc., from an OHL player? Not going to say his name because maybe he wouldn't want it said. Good, good what's up, up, brother? Good dude. (laughs) Um,
0: a way to earn more ice time is to play well at the role that you've been given. (laughs) It's it's pretty simple, and also be the hardest working guy. Like coaches, one hundred percent. I shouldn't say 100%, but I think most of the best coaches are biased towards the players that buy in and work really, really hard. And when those are your best players, that is a recipe for really, really good success when it, and, you know, and a lot of times, like if you're not on those top two lines or top two D pair or whatever, like you're going to have to maybe do some things that are outside your comfort zone that aren't necessarily the sexy things that you did at midget hockey, if you're playing in the OHL, but you got to do them. And, you know, if you continue to work, if you continue to buy in, um, you you continue to go on the ice early before practice, like coaches notice that stuff big time and they want to reward people that, that work hard. So be the hardest working person out there, play your role to the best of your ability. And, and don't be afraid to go in and advocate for yourself in the coach's office and say, Hey, like, I, I think I, I want a better role. Like I want more ice time. What can I do to, to, to get that? what can I do to earn more of your trust to get out there on a power play, to get out there in the last minute of a period to, to start games, whatever. Like uh, I don't think it's a bad thing to advocate and ask questions of the coach when you want something a little bit better as well.
1: I love it. I love it. I I would go right back to what I just talked about with the uh, coach going from head coach to assistant coach Um, go into the coach start of the year and being like, you know, I, I really want to be a hockey player. Like, this is, this is what I want. Like, I want you to be honest with me. Like, what are you looking for out of me right now? Like, what is my role on the team? Because I want to excel at that. And then you get more rope. You excel at, like Toph said, right in the beginning, like, uh, crush your role, whatever it is. And the sooner you can get out of a coat, like it it just helps the communication, everything. When your coach says, this is what I'm looking for out of you. And then you crush that. And then you get a little more rope and then your, your, what he expects is a little bit higher. And then you crush that. And then, you know, and so on and so on and so on. And you crush it by work ethic, attention to details, all the things we always talk about. Um, but the other
0: thing too, is like, you're one, you're possibly one injury or one bad game from somebody above you away from like playing that role too you know right. like right it's there for the taking you right I'll compete that person that's ahead of you
1: yeah like with like going to, especially if you're a, a lower role let's say on the team like like I was uh when I started my junior career um in the USHL like I just would go into practices towards the end of the year when I figured it out you know let's say and it was just like i just gotta win the day like i just gotta win this practice i'm not even thinking about am i in the lineup like i gotta win this freaking practice every time i do a drill and it took me all year to like learn that you know and have that confidence and stuff like that to, to do that but like if you kind of separate each day and it's like i'm gonna win every battle i'm gonna score every shot i take and then obviously you're not going to but that's the goal that's the mindset you do everything you can to win almost all of them. Like you do that, you get better, you crush your role, you get more rope because you got better in practice. You can do more in your new role. So I would say long-winded answer, but that's what you got to do, bro.
0: There we go. Love it. Okay. Next question. We're rolling through these things. Ooh, Here we go. I love it. Let's give them. Okay. Can. Um, this I'm not going to say the name just because uh, he might be in the car with his kid. Um, but uh, I have a second year blank who has been skating and playing hockey since he was four. He's a great kid and a great teammate, a decent skater, but lacks compete. It may be a confidence issue. Also, I was going to keep him out of travel hockey this year, but decided to keep him in it for one more year. Playing, hoping that maybe once he hits puberty, his compete level will increase. He is having fun, but sometimes it's a little tough to watch. Thoughts?
1: Um, This is a tough one. Uh, At that age, I would take him to boxing lessons. Um, I've had quite a few of my kids uh, that that train with me who are on the younger side, like, you know, 13 to 16, um, who are timid on the ice, you know, like don't want to go into battles, even though they're strong kids, like they're a little bit sheepish. Um, going to box like training, lifting weights builds confidence. Like I was a huge puss going into juniors, like I was. And then my first year I'm playing against all these grown men and I was scared all the time. I'm gonna run over. I was a skinny little skilled guy growing up, um, or the year before I mean uh and, and so um training putting on weight you know, building that earning my self-confidence made me feel more comfortable to go into battles and compete on the ice. And then I took boxing lessons after my first year of juniors. And that gave me a lot of confidence. Didn't win all the fights after that. Gave me maybe too much confidence, (laughs) but but it gave me more confidence. And I've had quite a few kids go and do that. So like get him into like jujitsu or MMA or boxing. And he doesn't have to like actually take hits. Like you could do one-on-one lessons. So he's not taking hits in the head or anything. And that will help his confidence. I guarantee it. Which Love will that him allow them to compete more?
0: We actually, adv- I shouldn't say advised, but we like told people that at Cornell, some kids who were a little timid and, and it, it was a confidence thing. I, I think that's uh, a, a huge part of it is that you're just not confident in yourself to to win some of these battles. So you go in expecting not to win and it looks like you don't compete. <laughs> you might want it, but. You're not confident enough to go get it. And so we had a couple kids, um, we said, Hey, you should probably go take boxing. And a couple kids did. And it did wonders like came back as different people. And so that's really interesting. I think the other thing too, is, you know, at, at Peewee's maybe, not, I don't know, like maybe Bantam's is, I don't know what the right age is. Cause I don't have kids at those ages, but just have an honest conversation with the kid too. Yeah. Hey, this is what I see. Do, do you want to make something of this or do you just want to have fun, dude? Like, what is it that you want to do? And maybe the kid just says, yeah, I just want to do this once or twice a week. And um, just because it's fun and I like to play hockey and, and that's what I want. And then all of a sudden, as a parent, you're like, okay. There we go. I don't have to be stressed about my kid not competing or wanting to get better. He just he just enjoys it as a hobby. And or your kid might say, hey, like, yeah, I really want to make the travel team or I really want to make the next level. I have a dream of playing at high levels, whatever. And then you can say, OK, like this is kind of what I'm seeing. And, and, you know, for some parents, it could be, Hey, like I'm showing a lot of money here. Like, what, what do you want? Like, this is an investment that I'm making in you. <laughs> and so I just want to know what it is you want out of it. So I can have better expectations for what I do and, and things like that. So I think an honest conversation, I don't know when, you know, that right age is maybe not, maybe not peewee, maybe it's a little young, maybe ban maybe Pee Wee's the right age. It
1: might be um, a lot of factors that go into that, that, yeah. that answer that question.
0: Yeah, but I th- I think that that could potentially be a good thing. But it's funny you mentioned boxing because we did that, and and I think that did help for sure. The yeah, physical dude. physical toughness creates mental toughness.
1: hundred percent, a one hundred percent. That's why I do what I do. Literally one hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Um, advice for a parent that wants to cultivate a love of hockey in their kids.
0: Oh God, how much time do you have? We only have five <laughs> minutes on this. <laughs> um, it, I you know what I I think you can't you can't really freaking push it on them hard. Like it's gotta be their decision to do it. And then when they make the decision to do it, then you can push a little bit more. Um, I, I think honestly, the most important thing is who's the coach. I think that's the most important thing we've had coaches and we've had plenty of conversations on this podcast about coaches that we've had that sucked the life out of us uh, playing the game and, completely decreased our love for it. And we had other coaches that 100% like gain, like we gained so much love of the game from these coaches, especially at the youth levels. I think that's just a, a really, really, really important thing. So as a parent, I think support your kid. Don't, don't like put so high of expectations on them. And it's, you know, the end of the world, if you don't make this team or that team, or you don't make the NHL or whatever, like make it fun. And, and make sure you have a coach that makes it fun for them too. And I think the other thing, this is something that like having kids, I've talked to people like as a parent, like play hockey with your kids in the basement, play hockey with your kids. It like say, Hey, like you want to go shoot some pucks. Hey, you want to go play some one-on-one? Hey, and then just like make it fun, like make it a, f- father-son or mother-son or mother-daughter or father-daughter thing where it's, I mean, that's what I did with my dad. We would always go down and play in the basement. And I've started to do it with my kids with a little knee hockey stuff and they're smiling and I'm like, okay, this is cool. Like, I feel like they're enjoying themselves and now they're going to want to do it more. And so I would be proactive as a parent to like make it fun and then make sure you're putting your kids with a coach that's going to make it fun as well.
1: Yeah. I think that's a big one there that he said at the end, make sure your kids with a coach is going to make it fun, especially at the younger ages. My dad, and the used older to, ages, dude. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. But I mean, just like, since it's younger kids, um, my dad used to pick me up from kindergarten and we would go skate at the afternoon uh, um, public skate. And, you know, I remember that still to this day as like such a cool thing that it would just be something my dad and I would do. You know, he dropped my sister off at home and we would go skate for an hour or something. And that was, That was really cool. And, you know, I got the worst memory ever. And I remember that since kindergarten. So, um, you know, that thing, Tove talked about playing shinny hockey in the basement. I went over to uh, a longtime podcast guest, multiple podcast guest uh, assistant, uh, university of Michigan, Brandon Narado's house when I was up working with uh, USA for a weekend, a couple of months back. And, you know, his son got home and ran down the basement. We all played hockey together and just seeing his kid light up and Brandon light up and how much fun they were having, just playing to get one-on-one against each other. It was so cool to see. Um, so just those kind of things, you know, have fun with them, play the game and, uh, and they'll love it because it's something you guys share together.
0: Yeah. And one other thing before I get to my next question, I I think it could be cool to like, if your kid already kind of has that inkling to go to like an event with the pro sports team in the town that you're in um, and, and have your kid interact with those players or his favorite player or her favorite player. Um, Because I mean, we all know like if we get that selfie or we got that autograph when we were growing up with like our favorite player or you know, now you have the autograph stick that you could put up on the wall and brag about it to your friends. I think that is actually something that can really ignite a fire in somebody. um and and I've seen it multiple times,, um, you know, watching kids do that. and i I don't know what you think about that, but I also think that that's something that really makes kids light up about it.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. I remember I was like just in the background of a commercial with Brendan Shanahan when I was in fifth grade. And like it's all I thought about for like years. I was like, I was, like, I was on a commercial with Brendan Shanahan. I was in the back, probably got cut out of it, didn't even see me, <laughs> bowl cut little idiot running around. But uh, you know, it was the coolest thing ever. So yeah, unbelievable.
0: Yeah, okay, cool. Um, okay, next question. Uh this is from our Ebby. I don't know who, but our Ebby, here we go. This is, uh, I coach 16 and 18 tier one hockey, and I'm a big plus minus guy as
1: accountability. Your take. Uh, I think it's overrated. I think, I I really think it's overrated. I played on too many teams where some of the best players were minuses. And that uh, like at Western, my either my, probably my junior and my freshman year, honestly, we'd always be down in games. One, two, three goals. And we'd pull the goalie. And, you know, if you're one of the guys out there is on offense, like, like, I don't know, it's just getting a minus, like you just step on the ice, you know, for a change or something, and you get a minus like six on five, and you get a minus. like, I don't, there's just so many minuses where, like, you literally can be doing all of the right things like, and you get a minus, I, I don't know, I just think that it's too, it's too big of like a, a parachute where too many people like kind of, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? I just, I don't, I don't love the stat. I think they honestly need to get rid of it. Maybe like go to like, I don't know, like pluses for, well, there's a lot better at the higher
0: levels. There's a lot better analytics, right? They break it down plus minus. Yeah. And you know, we can have a completely different podcast just on that alone. But I think the thing, and, and you, it, this takes a lot of time, but I think the thing that's better than like goal plus minus is chance plus minus. Mm. And so you, and this is what a lot of high level coaches do is they'll, you know, they'll tag the game and they'll go through and it won't be like all five players on the ice. It's kind of like a subjective who was involved in this scoring chance for who was involved in the giving up of a scoring chance against now defense plus minus isn't going to be as good because they're involved in a lot more, you know, just because of their position coming back this way. And four is the other way. Um, but Five on five chance plus minus, I think is a really decent indicator of how people are playing from an accountability standpoint. Like if you have a winger that has a lot of minuses, that's not good. Wingers are not supposed to have minuses. Your job in the D zone is pretty much to make sure that the defenseman doesn't get a scoring chance, (laughs) you know? Um, And so, and it could be a good... Accountability thing too. Like, if you have a defenseman that's jumping up in the play and and in on a lot of scoring chances, like that's something that you can use to continue to try to get your D to jump up in the play. And so I think chance plus minus is one that a lot of coaches do a lot more and put a lot more weight into. And then I would encourage you to read analytics articles about the awesome work that's being done to, you know, show how somebody is actually playing in a game. Um, you know, sport logic is a great site. There's a ton of bloggers out there that do a really good job. Mike Kelly, go back and listen to the episode that we did with him. He's unreal works for the NHL network and sport Great logic. episode. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, analytics is playing a bigger role as a youth coach. Again, I don't know if you have time to go through and watch the games and, and to be able to chart those things. I don't know if that's your full-time job or, um, you know, it's, it's something that you, it's part-time or whatever, but chance plus mine is something a lot of people do. That's what I did last year. And, uh, I think it was a much better indicator than the goal one.
1: Love that. Absolutely. Love that. Uh, most impactful lesson learned in hockey that you've used in everyday life, work, etc.
0: Surround yourself with good people and be resilient. I mean, it all comes down to those things. It's the first two things that I talk about in my team building, uh, with every team that I've done this with at every level that I've done it at. And so surround yourself with good people. You're going to put yourself a step ahead and understand that you have to embrace the suck. You have to embrace the grind. Uh, if you have a dream of doing anything, it is, it's, it's difficult. It's really hard it's a reason why they call it hard work. (laughs) And, uh, you know, you look at anybody who ever did anything great. There was a lot of failure that came with that. So surround yourself with really good people and make sure that resiliency is something that you're thinking about on a daily basis. Vex go.
1: I like that. I'd probably say give more, be more. Like when I started (laughs) living but seriously, when I started like living my life like that, um, You know, when I turned 17, when I got my first real injury and that's when I like really was like, I'm going to get dialed here, like, like really dialed, um, everything changed and then to my hockey career and then just with everything. And the more like I, I give to whatever it is I'm doing, I get better at it. I get more out of it. Like just so many different things. And like, that's how I lived my life to like get where I wanted to go in hockey and to keep playing and all this stuff and come back from injuries. And, and I've just kind of translated how I did things and how I approached, uh, being a professional athlete, you know, even though I wasn't in the NHL and I wasn't making millions, like I just approached it. Like I'm going to be my best every single day I possibly can be. And that helped me play a lot longer than a lot of guys who were better than me and you know make more money than a lot of guys who are way better than me and keep getting contracts and stuff like that um and i've just transferred living the way that i did as an athlete i try to do that as much as i can now that i'm out of the game and i look at anybody i come into contact now in life just like as a teammate like how can i be there for them how can i you know do something to help somebody else Um, it just makes me feel good. I did that as a leader on all the teams and, uh, I don't know. It always comes back. Uh, It seems to always come back too. So, um, yeah, GMBM, baby. Got my GMBM hat on right now. Yeah, he does. Let's go.
0: (laughs) Okay. Next question. This is from MJ Russo and, uh, he says, parents wanting full sheet practice, 12, U, yay or nay.
1: I gotta be honest. I'm not well-versed enough in this age to even have, um, ha- have a thought on it. I, I'll I take can't this speak one, to then. it. Yeah.
0: I'll take this one because as a hockey director for a couple years of a youth organization, there's a lot that goes into ice scheduling and putting all the puzzle pieces together, <laughs> um, then meets the eye. You have to understand how many teams you have, what the ice costs are. Um, you have to understand like you know, the ages of the teams and there's so many different Variables that go into it. Um, I don't think 12U teams should have full ice every single one of their practices. I don't think it's really necessary, but I don't think it's bad to have full ice practices at that level because that's the game that they play too. Uh, you know, you can do as many good or bad. I don't think it's necessarily the the structure of full ice versus split ice or whatever. It's just the quality of the drills and the quality of the coach that you have are way more important than than either of those two. So um, yeah, I, I, I don't I think balance is a good thing. I think you can have both and you can get that balance from a player development standpoint. And you can also get that balance from just a running of an organization standpoint, understanding how many teams there are, what the costs of the ice are, how much you want to charge your, um, you know, your your players and your parents. There's just a, a lot that goes into the puzzle pieces. And that's one of the hardest jobs of a hockey director is figuring out ice schedules. I can tell you that <laughs> sitting in that seat. So, um, yeah, like I just think balance is a good thing like it okay what do you got
1: um let's go with this is something we've never talked about before this is from a bauer 23 any thoughts on who should play goalie at younger ages
0: i mean what's younger ages define that
1: Eh, he didn't define it so i'm not sure let's just say like for you know i don't know might everybody might and below, yeah everybody Everybody, everybody, I'd say everybody that wants to, there's a kid who like really doesn't yeah. want to play goalie. I wouldn't make him. I would make all kids play all positions personally up until like, I don't know, at, at 13, 12 like at least in different times of the year, I would make all kids play all positions Even other, other than goalie. Oh, okay. Other yeah. than goalie. But like, I mean, like not just defense play both lefty and righty, no matter what hand you are, play all three forward positions. I think there's so much value in that and how it's going to help kids see the game better throughout the rest of their career. Yeah. The goalie thing, I think it's whoever wants to play, throw throw them in there.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and maybe not like, you know, um, I don't want to say higher level mites, but like older mites, like might double a or whatever, like maybe you have one goalie or two goalies, whatever it may be, but like definitely and learn to play and, and house leagues and all of that. I think, you know, they have those pads that you can like take on and off really quickly and right, you can do it right. every period or whatever. I just think right. it's really good to really expose people and expose kids to what the position is. And you never know, like a kid might just fall in love with playing goalie and they had no idea what being a goalie was. What then, an idiot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> just kidding.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I think I think you encourage everybody to play goalie at at the youngest of ages for sure. So, uh, okay, next question from C. Lang. C. Lang, this is a two parter, uh, or not two parter, but just two of them. He says, uh, "How do we work through the letdown after making the team when the goal appears to be making the team and not actually being on the team?"
1: Yeah, I would just say uh, go over with your player and have them reestablish a why be like wow you got the you got the gold at the end of the rainbow awesome now what do you what's do next <laughs> every time every time you achieve a goal it's time to set a new one a new couple you know short medium long term what are your next goals congrats on making it let's have a little party celebrate boom next day we're back to the new we're back to the grind and now it's what are our new goals and now you've established a why now they'll have intention and now they get better.
0: For sure. I think that's, that's a much better answer than mine is. And that's just hold them accountable, hold them accountable. Like if they are not working, <laughs> then they, they, then they're not going to play. Or if they're not buying in, then they're not going to play. Or if they feel like they're just happy to be there, be like, Hey, it seems like you're just happy to be here. And you can also put a positive spin or like, Hey, like you were picked to be on this team for a reason you know, you were picked because of X, but I'm not seeing X. So I want to see X. Uh, that would be my, but I'd like yours too. setting goals and establishing a Y for sure. I think is important.
1: Yeah. I think that kind of gets to the root of it. Um, your number one trick for getting through a rut. Number one trick.
0: I don't think it's a trick. Like I, like, I know what this question is, but I don't like how it was worded. Mm, I just think it's getting, getting back to the fundamentals and getting back to your why, like you just said, um, getting out of a rut usually has to do with a lack of confidence and how do you build up confidence? You got to get back to putting in the work and get back to what makes you good. And so it's not a trick. It's just digging in. Uh, under also just understanding that this is normal in a season. Every player that's ever played hockey has been through plenty of ruts every season, so it's a natural progression. Um, and and yeah, I think the more you're also prepared, so like the more structured you are with your preparation and your routine, the you know the lows aren't going to be as low because again you're you're getting back to that fundamentals because that's what you always do.
1: I love that. You know, what's funny is uh, this is from my buddy here in St. Louis, um, and he's not a hockey player, at least not anymore. He's definitely asking about life, and you answered exactly how I would answer for him knowing that it was him asking that in life. And this is exactly why Toph and I do this podcast. Obviously, it's to help coaches, players, parents, but to, to teach all, all the parents and players and coaches listening that, like, we were successful in hockey and you know like we we both have pretty good lives we do what we love you know um and uh we just do what we did in hockey like everything we learned in hockey we we do in our normal lives now and that's why we're you know successful uh, you know in a relative term whatever that means by your own metrics but we're both happy and we feel like we're successful and doing doing what we want to do and um i think that like exactly what Tove said you know like get back to the details like think about when you were your best, when you felt like you were on your A game, what were you doing? Odds are 99% you were, you were pretty structured. Like you, you had goals, you were hitting them daily goals. Like I have to do this. Check it off. Boom. Got it done. That gives you confidence. Next thing. What do I got to do? Boom. Check it off. Done. Confidence. Next thing. Boom. Check it off. Done. Next thing. And then you build confidence and then you're like Icarus rolling the ball. (laughs) That's from heavyweights. Then you're like, uh, you're like the snowball coming down the mountain, like every little thing you do that's the right thing to do and you know it's the right thing and it's a good detail that ball gets bigger and bigger and bigger going down the mountain and that's when you feel like you're in the flow state as they call it when you're in the zone everything's going right but you got there because you paid attention to every little detail for the day week month whatever it is leading up to it so like for me to break it down even further like i get back to like like anally scheduling, like down to like, you know, the half an hour, the minute, whatever it is during my day. Okay. At this time I got to do this at this time. I got to do this. I make sure the night before my bags are prepared for the whole next day. I've got my snacks ready. I've got, I sound like a little kid snack pack. I've got, I've got everything ready that I need to use and, and, and do, and, you know, just to be successful that next day. So for me, it's like, just, dialing in everything and preparing, and then it's easier to execute. And then one little execution turns into two and three into four. And then that ball keeps getting bigger and bigger.
0: Next question. Did you trade that snack pack? That (laughs) banana or that snack pack for my banana?
1: (laughs) Uh, Donkey Kong is a very good game.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Next question. Here we go. Thoughts about staying with one coach for more than five years. I know it's rare. Go.
1: This is something I was just talking to with, I feel like it was one of my college or pro guys. I don't know. Or maybe it was, yeah, I can't remember who it was. But anyways, I I think that at the youth levels, coaches should have to get a new team every two years. Maybe three, maybe three. I just think that like that is going to help so much. Obviously that's hard because that's assuming that every organization has a ton of good coaches, Um, you know, so that would be the tough thing. I guess that would be in an ideal world. Coaches would switch every two years. You try and teach your players everything you possibly can in two years, and they can go and learn from somebody else who's got, you know, different lens, all this stuff. They can learn different skills that is obviously in an ideal world, but that is what I would say. If the coach is bad or the coach is really good and there's no other good coaches around there, maybe that is the best spot.
0: Yeah. I'm just going to echo what you said. I think it depends on the situation and it depends on the coach. Like if you have a great coach, <laughs> it's a good thing. If there's not other coaches of that level or capability, but yeah, I I'm a big believer that you should learn different things from different people, understand how to play different styles, understand having coaches that coach in a different style, because you're going to need to know that stuff. You're going to have to have somebody that coaches you really hard because <laughs> that's, probably what it's going to be at the next level. You're probably going to want a coach that teaches you how to play creatively because that's what you're going to need as a skill set at the next level. And so, yeah, taking things from different coaches, I think is really, really important. Um, But situations might arise where it's like, Hey, we got this like unicorn of a coach who's really, really good. Maybe we don't want to stray away from that, but that's in a rare, rare case where there's no other good coaches around. I, I think I'm with you. I'll echo what you say. Love it. What do you got?
1: Um, I like this one. This is from a new friend on Instagram today. Played in the AHL. KR hockey development in Sweden. Players must be 16 before an agent can approach them. Why not in the U S like, why, why is it different here? You know, you got uh, big agencies making introductions at the brick tournament to 10 year olds now. So in Sweden, they can't do it before 16. Um, why, why isn't that a rule here?
0: Because it's and not should a rule, be,
1: and maybe should it be? Let's <laughs> say should it be?
0: Yeah, absolutely, it should be. hundred percent, it should be. I think it's ridiculous, and the agents will tell you it's ridiculous. They don't want to be in in a rink like scouting thirteen and fourteen year olds. Like the agency business, for those that know, like the know that are in the know of the game, like it's the worst business model ever. It's literally the worst business model because for especially the higher level agents, like. Let's say you recruit a kid at 13, you're probably not going to make money off that kid until they're 20, 21 years old, maybe 23, 24 years old, unless you're a unicorn like a Sidney Crosby, and then it's 18. But even if it's Sidney Crosby at 18, you're not making money from that kid for five years. So you also have to understand that most of the kids that you're going to be quote unquote recruiting are not going to be Sidney Crosby or a professional hockey player, right? So it's like the worst, they hate it. Like the ages you talk to them, they say they hate it, but they have to do it because then somebody else is going to do it and they're not going to get the kid. And so the reason why there's no rules is because there's no rules. That's that's why they do it. And so I don't know, like maybe the NHL has to get involved with the NHLPA. And I think that's the only way that it's going to change is the NHL and NHLPA get involved and there's consequences for doing that for uh, and maybe that's what they do in sweden like if there's somebody that does that as a 15 year old they revoke their agent license or something um so th- that's to me the only way that it can change and that can't change until a collective bargaining agreement comes through i think um because it's not they're not they're not going to just get agents in a room and be like hey guys we should probably stop doing this let's not do it like that's never going to happen <laughs> so, right. Right. um yeah. It's ridiculous. They know it's ridiculous. Everybody knows it's ridiculous, but it's that, you know, FOMO, if, if I'm not doing it, somebody else is going to do it. So I have to do it type stuff. Yeah. It's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. I agree. I agree. It's stupid. It should just become a rule. Yeah. Uh, bottom line, it should just be a rule. Like college, 16- college
0: hockey did that. You know, college hockey put a rule in place. Um, actually, August 1st was a big date. It's the first time you can offer a kid a verbal commitment uh, going into their junior year when before you could do it when they were in diapers, there was no rules against it. Um, So yeah. And, and, and if you talk to people in college hockey, like they'll say it's been good. It's, it has been perfect, but it's definitely made it a little bit better and a little bit easier for everybody. Next question here. This is from Gwen. Gwen says, is the defensive defenseman a thing of the past? Do NHL teams need slash want anymore?
1: I mean, defense wins championships. That's a saying for a reason you gotta have you, you gotta score more than the other team, but you, you also gotta not let the other team score more <laughs> than you. So I mean, like I I guess the term is also like evolving, like defensemen. If you can make a good first pass, like I, I don't know, I think of defensive defensive so sometimes as like a big dofy D man who's just great at like shutting down the rush. But like a good defensive defenseman now, the term has evolved where like you gotta make that great first pass. You've got to be able to do that. You know, you gotta be able to talk to your teammates, you gotta be a, a leader in the D zone and uh talking and helping and stuff like that. So it's not, I guess everybody's thinking of a different uh look to a defensive defenseman. But if you're gonna be a defensive defenseman, yes, teams still need that, want that. I would say usual characteristics are like tough, you know, hard to play against, you know, no matter if it's a male or female, being an a hole out there. Nobody wants to play against somebody that's tough to play against. It's not, it's not easy. It's not fun. You want it easy uh if you're playing forward, you know. So when you got somebody who's all up in your grill all the time, that makes your night a lot harder. Um and yeah, like I said, just make a good first pass. So if you can do all those things and yeah you're valuable.
0: Yeah. And I would look to just free agency this year. You, know, you look at uh, Eric Goodbranson getting $4 million a year for four years in Columbus. And then Ben Chirot, another defensive defenseman. I forget what he got paid in Detroit, but he also got traded to Florida. And I think they gave up a lot to get him. Um, I mean, the NHL teams are understanding. And I think analytics people might disagree with, <laughs> with those signings. But at the end of the day, like, yes, they are valuing that. Just look at those contracts that we're giving out in uh in free agency now i would say um as caveats and i'm gonna echo what you said vex like you have to be able to make a first pass like you have to be able to make a first pass to play in the nhl you have to so a defensive defenseman somebody with limited skill whatever whatever you want to call them um you still have to make a first pass and be smart. And I I also think to go along with what you said, if you're going to be a defensive defenseman in that role, you have to play with an edge. I shouldn't say you have to play with an edge, but people will, I think, be more gravitating towards you if you're playing with an edge because you don't see that as much anymore. And And scouts drool over people that play with an edge and are hard to play against, like you said. So if you can add that to your game as well, I think that's really, really important, but I I think you're right. Defense wins championships. I think the way that the game has just evolved and ebbed and flowed, like maybe in the last five years, it was, it went so skill, right? Like so skill. And then, you know, now with the blues winning the cup and things like that, like, Now you're kind of seeing like Washington, the Tom Wilson's getting paid what he got paid. Like their people are putting a bigger value on toughness. And so I I just, uh, yeah, they're hundred percent in his room, but you can make yourself more marketable. I think um, by still being able to make that first pass and playing smart, but also like playing with an edge, being really hard to play against. Like you said,
1: love it. Love it. Go ahead. What do you got? Who would win in a fight? Grizzly bear or a silverback gorilla? <laughs> Who you got?
0: Uh I'll just go grizzly bear. This is this a movie
1: line? No, I don't, I don't think know. So. It. I don't know either. It's from one of my meathead, uh, uh college hockey players. Uh, <laughs> <you'd probably laughs> I'll go grizzly bear. I'm going to uh, go grizzly bear. I, I think I would take the gorilla. I don't really? know. They could, uh, yeah. I don't know. I think that's is, this is just stupid. I just I know.
0: Said. I just know. And this is coming from me as a parent and also as a youth hockey coach, and you can probably sympathize with this too. Um, you know, the term mama bear.
1: Yeah. It's for a reason.
0: It's for a reason. Like don't piss the mama bear off, or the mama yeah. bear's coming out and you're done. <laughs> yeah. So I'll base my, I will base my um, answer based on that.
1: Gorillas have a, opposable thumbs, though, don't they? You know, that's got to give them advantage. I don't. What know, does that even was, mean? Uh, like some animals like can't use their thumb; they have fingers, but they don't have a thumb. Oh, and interesting. We have a thumb, and so do primates. Um, <laughs> come on, Doc. Okay. Uh, um uh let's i'll do another one tips for in-season training i'm going to answer this because this is uh i'm just going to let
0: you answer this yeah. one. but you have a five minute limit so yeah okay
1: I'll, the easiest easiest thing mike boyle fill up the empty buckets what are the what does that mean what buckets are you filling on the ice what buckets are you not having filled up in the off season you're not skating as much in the beginning of the off season so you've got to do all different types of things in season you are doing your skating that's your cardio that's your agility that's your skill work um what are you not getting from your practices and games you're not getting mobility prehab and strength so those are the those are the things i focus on most in season training two sets of six heavy stay stay strong throughout the season at the younger ages you could probably you, you could do three sets of six for sure if you could work hard monday to wednesday guys who like working out, you could work out Monday to Thursday. You could even get a workout, you know, after your game on Saturday, if you just play Friday, Saturday, take Sunday off, you know, these, these are years that, that you're really going to want to push the pace because you're young and you recover. So as long as you're recovering, you can keep your foot on the gas in a smart way.
0: Love so, it. I'll just add nutrition and sleep too. I know huge. that those are big things for you. So I'll just, at Huge. that and go from there. Uh, I do want to throw a shout out out there now that we're talking about this. Somebody that you and I both know, Joe Maloney, who is the new head strength and conditioning coach for the U.S. National Development Team Program. So oh. he's going to be working with Brian Galvin up in Ann Arbor with the no boys. Yeah, so that just happened over the past couple of weeks. Oh, and so sick, Joe is somebody that I worked with at Windy City this year. Uh, just a phenomenal dude, hardworking guy, really gets guys to care and buy in, real motivator. And so, um, yeah, I actually ran into Galley. I was up in Michigan um, driving through on my way out to Ithaca. I think I told you that. Or I might even mention that. And uh, saw Galley. If you haven't listened to our podcast, Brian Galvin, who is the head of, I forget what his role is now, um, head of sports science or head of something for the national program. Um, but he's the best. He is unbelievable. I ran into I him and today. yeah. And he uh, mentioned that Joe was interviewing for it and uh, yeah, I'm so glad that he got the job because he's a great guy and really good at what he does too. So congrats to Joe Maloney post Maloney on Instagram. If you want to I him just follow
1: DM'd him, man, that's awesome. <laughs> great dude. Great dude.
0: Yeah. Okay. So uh, next question here, this is from Rhonda and she says, what are the most important traits of a captain and at what age should captains be named?
1: What was the first part of the question?
0: (laughs) I could say anything right now. You could have no idea. Uh, What are the most important traits of a captain and at what age should captains be named?
1: Um, Being genuine is number one, like especially at the younger ages, some guys like want to be captain to, to want to be captain. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but when leadership comes from uh, a fake place, people don't buy into what you're selling and that's definitely not a good thing. Um, so being genuine is, is definitely number one and there's all different types of leadership styles. So there's the quiet guy who just goes out there and does everything right. And, you know, I played with Paul Stasny all grown up. He's probably going to listen to this podcast all the time. Um, what up Stas? Uh, he was never the guy in the room that would talk a lot, but when he did talk because he didn't talk a lot, everybody friggin' listened um because he was always doing his job super responsible going above and beyond um and just always you know working hard and doing everything he could um so like he was a quiet leader i'm more of like a a louder guy i like to get the boys going you know i like to pick up the guys who are down and the guys who are going i want to keep them going um there's not i don't think there's one way to lead so it is a pretty tough question but i would say that the, the the players who come every day to get better. They come every day to compete. Um, are actual team players, like they really care about their teammates. Um, that's, those are the biggest attributes at what age should they be captains? I think that, that up until maybe, maybe like 16, because if we're talking about hockey, most players aren't going to play professional. Um, most players aren't going to get to play division one hockey. Um, like we always say, you should use hockey as a vehicle for teaching them lessons about life. This is a great lesson to teach about leadership. Beginning of the year, you give us a a, a talk about what leadership is, and then you pass the letter around for every game, I think up until like, I don't know, 15 maybe. And then from then it goes to like guys who deserve it. But even then, I still think that you can kind of maybe one C and the A's float depending on people who actually deserve it.
0: There you go. I like that. I like that. Um, I'm going to take it a step further. Um, and we've talked about this and I know that this is something that's really important to you too, but leaders lead by example first, so, I think a great attribute of a leader is just a hard worker <laughs> and somebody who cares about their teammates, somebody that picks up pucks, you know, somebody that makes sure the locker room's clean, all that stuff. Um, so, you have to lead by example. Like, you can't tell people to pick up the locker room if your stall is a freaking mess. You can't tell people to work hard if you don't work hard yourself. So, I just think you have to lead by example. And I, I think another thing that's not in the question, but for every coach out there I think the players should pick the captains I don't think the coaches should pick the captains I think um, you know one of the sayings that coach Schaefer who I worked with and played for at Cornell his biggest thing was dogs knows dogs no dogs and so you know we only get them for two three hours a day at the rink and their teammates 24 hours a day so the other 21 hours what are you doing and that's where a lot of respect can be earned and where a lot of respect respect can be lost in those moments uh, away from the rink, whether you're a youth hockey player or whether you're a high level hockey player. So I'm a big believer in, in players um, voting for captains and, and not coaches. coaches can have a vote, I think for sure. Um, But I think the players are the ones that, should probably be doing the picking, especially at the younger ages. Um, I also hate at the youngest ages. Like, I think, yeah, having captains at at young ages is fine, as long as it's not a coach giving it to the most talented player, (laughs) which is a lot of times what happens. Uh, I would be a proponent of, yeah, like um, switching it around. Like maybe – you switch it every four or five games and the people who were working hard those previous four or five games they're the ones that are the captain for the next four or five games and then maybe somebody else steps up whatever just allows everybody to play that leadership role so um yeah i think players should vote for captains i think you can do it at the younger of ages and players just have to lead by example love it all right what do you got
1: this is from Sean Donaldson. Hey, Jeff, big fan of the podcast. My question doesn't fit in the number of characters allowed in the poll on Instagram. Sorry, Sean. Uh, when just tra- transitioning from junior hockey to college, what is more important quickness or adding that extra weight, but he said strength to be able to play against bigger players. Obviously both are important, but just want uh, your thoughts as you live this experience and watch it firsthand. So that's a great question for you. Um, What do you think? Because you were, you obviously played D1 and you were a coach, so you were recruiting guys.
0: Honestly, it depends on the player, in my opinion. I I don't think that's a question that has a blanket answer. I think it, it just depends on the player. Um, Some people may be quick and they need to be a little bit stronger to fight off the bigger and stronger players that you're going to be playing against. Um, Some people might have the strength, but they need to add a little bit of explosiveness to their game to maybe beat somebody to a puck uh, or uh, to a space on the ice and things. So I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know, I guess if you had a gun to my head and you had to pick one, I would probably say quicker. (laughs) Um, But I, I think it really depends on the player.
1: Yeah, it's such a case by case basis, sir Sean. Um, I would say I tell all my guys going into college this, and even juniors. A lot of coaches say I need I need him to gain weight. I need him to gain weight. But what they actually mean is I need him to gain strength, um, because you, you know Johnny Goodreau, like if he gains more weight, he'll slow down. Uh, so he's light, super quick, you know, shifty, all those things. Patrick Kane, like same thing. So it is a case by case basis. But basically, you want to be as strong as you can be. As fast as you can be, as athletic as you can be, at a weight that you feel your best. So, like for me, when I played uh, fourth line in the AHL or third line in the AHL, at one point I was playing a two seventeen because all I was doing was penalty killing barely a regular shift, you know, and so just go out there and like hit bodies and had to be strong. So I didn't need to like be lighter. I go to Europe, I played at 202 for 6 years cuz I was first or second line, first or second power play, first penalty kill, playing a ton of minutes. I couldn't be as heavy. I was as strong at both weights pretty much. Um but I just manipulated how light I was, which probably made me a little bit quicker too. So um it's case by case basis, you know, you got to figure out what what weight you like playing at the most.
0: There you go. Boom. All right. One more question we got here. I think we got through everybody. And so this one actually kind of wraps it all up and is, is kind of similar to our first question that we had, but it's a little bit different. And um, I have a different kind of spin on, on how to do this, but um, this is from coach Sean and coach Sean says first season coaching with a new organization. What's the best way to establish my philosophy quickly
1: go. De- decide who you want to be, write it down. What do I want my team to play? Like, what, who do I, how do I want to approach coaching? Read books that TOEF recommends because TOEF recommends great books on coaching. Uh, that's why TOEF is unbelievable wealth of knowledge. Listen to whatever TOEF says on that, decide your style, and then literally sit down, write it out, write it out and then do it every day.
0: There you go. And, and I'm just going to add to that. So what we're talking about here is identity, And I think that you can't preach identity enough. Identity is something that is literally everything. Like if you don't know who you are, you can't do the how. You have to know who you are and you have to know the why of your team. And what I wanted to add to that is I think you need to involve your players in the establishment of your identity, what's important to them. Now, you as the coach obviously have the final say and you have a way that you want to play and you have to be firm on those things. But when you when you are a coach and you add your players to the preparation of a season and how you're going to play, you're going to create much bigger buy-in when you do that because they were involved. So one of the things that we did as a, as a team this year um, is we created an identity board and I gave the guys a list of, I don't know, 50, 60 words or values. And I said, I want you guys each to pick five. And I'm going to put it all in an Excel spreadsheet or a word document. I can't remember what I did. And then I sent it back to them and I said, okay, here are all the words that you guys said. Now as a team, I want you guys to pick five of those words. I'm going to put it up on a board. We're going to carry it with us every, everywhere we go. It was our identity board. And so I don't have it in front of me, but like it was competitiveness. Um, it was family. It was family. Uh, it was, ener- I think energetic was one of the words. And so those were the words that like, so all of my speeches that I gave as a coach had to do with all of those things, because that's what was important to the players, you know? And I think if you're going at it from a different, like if you're a program director, if you're a coach at a higher level, you have to include, um, you know, the, the other coaches in that too. Like if you just give everybody a playbook and say, boom, this is what we're going to do. I think it's a little bit tougher to create buy-in. Um, then involving them in the process. Now, you still should give that book of this is how we're going to be and this is what we're going to do. But I would reach out to everybody and get their input first and then say, okay, I talked to you guys. This is what you guys are thinking. Here's what we're going to do. Just creates buy-in.
1: Love it. Absolutely love it.
0: Boop. Yep. All right. Cool. Well, this was fun, man. We got through a lot these. of
1: questions. Dude, we, this is the most we've ever banged out for sure. Like, <laughs> that was that was awesome. I, I hope you guys uh, enjoy this. I hope you like it. I love doing this. I love literally anybody who's listening. I love being able to help you guys answer questions, you know, and this is really fun. So thank you for everyone who sent in questions. Very cool
0: yep thank you thank you thank you so much we love you guys we appreciate you guys and we hope you enjoyed this one and we hope that you guys look forward to a great week ahead